The U.S. has now topped more than 500,000 COVID-19-related deaths in the course of the pandemic, and the world has now reached over 2.5 million. We're coming up on a year into this pandemic, so let's talk all about it right here on this special bonus episode of The Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, welcome to The Nurse Keith Show. I'm privileged to use this platform to educate and inform you so that you can take any information you find useful and share it with others. These COVID-19 pandemic episodes come out at the end of every month. The episodes are free of corporate sponsorship, and this is just about education and information as a public service. The show notes for this episode will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word COVID-19-21. Remember that anything I share during these episodes references the most up-to-date information I can access, as well as my personal opinions. The situation is always changing, so something I share may have already changed by the time this episode airs. And also, nothing I share is meant to contribute to diagnosis or treatment of COVID-19, please consult your healthcare providers, the CDC, the WHO, your Department of Health, or any other source that you trust. Thanks for understanding. Stay safe, keep informed, and thanks for being here with me. Now, as I mentioned just moments ago, the United States has surpassed 500,000 deaths in the course of the pandemic. The world has now surpassed 2.5 million deaths. And an ongoing question that myself and many other people are pondering is why, if the U.S. is only 4% of the world's population, why do we have more than 20% of the overall deaths from COVID-19? Food for thought and something we're going to be unpacking for a long time to come. Now, speaking of deaths in the United States, California has now surpassed 50,000. That's roughly one in 10 of all coronavirus deaths in the United States. While the surge in LA and other cities in, in California seems to have peaked and is now declining, just like rates are declining around the country, those are some pretty stark numbers. And speaking of stark numbers, how do we contextualize the meaning and the level of loss of more than half a million Americans and more than 2.5 million people worldwide? How do we even begin to take this in? You know, the collective and individual grief around the country and around the world is enormous. It's nothing any of us have ever seen before. And Recently, I was re-listening to an episode of Dr. Sanjay Gupta's CNN Coronavirus Fact versus Fiction podcast, and Dr. Gupta was interviewing someone who was discussing this notion of compassion fade, which is where our brains basically can't comprehend or take in a particular number. We can't think in terms of 500,000 people dying, we can't really personalize that number. So compassion fade is really a thing. And I'm going to put a link to that episode in the show notes because it's a very important conversation. It's only 
12 or 14 minutes long, but it's really worth listening to because this whole notion of how our brains can't really fathom such numbers really can help us put into context how do we how do we take in this information how do we sit with what's been going on these last almost 12 months now and just feel it in our bodies feel it in our hearts and you know i'm feeling fatigue i'm feeling pandemic fatigue are you I, I bet you are. I bet almost everyone is. We're either fatigued from all the death and the suffering. We're fatigued from the mask wearing and the social distancing and missing our families and missing special gatherings like funerals and weddings and birthday parties and just getting together with people just for fun. I mean, they're... <sighs> The, the level of, of loss and the types of loss we're all experiencing is just astronomical. And, and I still am just having a hard time wrapping my head around what's going on and how I even feel about it at this point here at the end of February 2021. And, you know, speaking of contextualizing and looking at, you know, the, the, the microcosm, the macrocosm, what's happening here in the states where I live and looking at what's happening around the world. The World Health Organization just warned just this past week that as many as 20 poor countries are in urgent need of oxygen as more than half a million COVID-19 patients in those low and middle income countries around the world need oxygen treatments every day. This isn't even talking about the lack of vaccine rollout in poor and middle-income countries around the world. The issues I've talked about of social justice and equity on this show before in relation to the pandemic, these are ongoing issues, folks. I mean, if our rich countries like the US and countries in Europe, et cetera, are able to roll out the vaccine and protect their citizens, what's happening in Jamaica, where I have friends and a godson, and what's happening in Haiti, where members of my extended family have family members and loved ones, what's happening in Sierra Leone and places all over the world that can't access vaccine and can't access the treatments that we are privileged to access. You know, speaking of, speaking of privilege and access, in universities and colleges around the United States, many have tried their best and are still trying their best to bring students back. They're trying to have more face-to-face -face learning and have students have some semblance of normalcy on campus. And you know what? More than 120,000 virus cases have now been linked to American colleges since the start of 2021. That's just in the last two months. So as much as we want our kids back in school, as much as we want our college and university students back on campus, this is still an issue. We're still facing these challenges and wrapping our heads around this and figuring out how to make this work for everyone and to get some normalcy back in our lives, that is one of our pressing challenges today and will continue to be for some months to come. Now, in terms of the vaccine rollout, I'm sure 
every single person listening to this podcast has been hearing lots of stuff about the vaccine rollout, whether in your local town, in your state, in the country where you live. We here in the United States have been behind the eight ball since the Trump administration first had a hard time getting this ball rolling. And the Biden administration is doing their best as well. And, you know, it's still a bumpy ride. The storms that happened around the United States just a couple weeks ago, they really messed with distribution. Millions of doses were not delivered during that very difficult weekend around the country when we heard bad weather in almost every state. And, you know, vaccination is starting to speed up now that the storms are over and distribution is really kind of coming back online. But we still, we still are experiencing inequities. We're still experiencing shortages in local areas and many, many people are frustrated. We've had lots of people jumping the line, talk about privilege. There's all sorts of reports of wealthy people able to skirt that line and get a vaccine from their concierge providers, for instance. There's people who have been going across state lines where it's easier to get a vaccine and jumping ahead of others. Gosh, the 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 rollout of the vaccine and the ability of the people who need the vaccine to get it has been such a source of frustration. You know, Over the last few weeks, I started working on COVID testing. I've been doing testing here in Santa Fe, and it's really a privilege and feels great to be contributing in that much more direct way, doing testing at a drive-through center here in in my fair city. And I've also been helping out with the COVID-19 hotline from the Department of Health here in the state of New Mexico. And I have to say, a large majority of the callers to the hotline are frustrated. Some are angry. Some are really angry. You know, we have people calling who really feel that they really should be vaccinated by now or getting an appointment for a vaccine, and we just don't have enough to get them in there. We're still stuck on Group 1A, healthcare providers, people over 75, first responders, you know, and we need to be moving on to other populations. But if the federal government can't get the vaccine to us and we can't get the vaccine to the people, the hotline is going to be lighting up with frustrated callers. And that's what's been happening in my experience. And, you know, it's a privilege to work on the hotline. I'm honored to be able to help people and for me, as a nurse, as a healthcare provider who cares about this stuff, it's incredibly frustrating for me to have to field these frustrated calls and not be able to give people definitive answers. That is a really painful part of the process. I feel horrible for these folks. I feel terrible for people who are vulnerable and want to get vaccinated or work on the front lines as grocery clerks or work in pharmacies, et cetera, and they can't get their vaccine. It is such a frustrating thing. And I'm wondering what you're hearing out there and what you're experiencing and what perhaps maybe some of your loved ones are saying, because they're having a hard time getting one as well. You know, there's long lines, 
there's waiting lists, there's people not able to get an appointment at all. And this has got to change, folks. I mean, this is the United States in the 21st century. We need to be able to roll out a vaccine and do it efficiently and well and professionally and get it in the arms of people who need it. You know, speaking of the vaccine, a good piece of news I just heard today is that the Food and Drug Administration just approved Pfizer's request that their vaccine can now be kept at normal freezer temperatures and not at those deep freeze temperatures that's been such a concern for the cold chain and for transportation. And this is one thing that might really help the Pfizer vaccine specifically get to more communities where that type of deep freeze capacity doesn't exist. So yeah, there's some good things happening and there's some not so good things happening, but the vaccine is getting out there. One of the other things I'll say in terms of the vaccine getting out is that numbers are going down. The number of new cases, the number of deaths is seeing a steady decline in most parts of the United States for quite some time now. We're not seeing that in all other countries. France is actually looking like it's not doing as well as it was. A lot of different countries in the European Union are having a bit of a hard time and kind of a relapse in terms of vaccine, I mean, having a relapse in terms of uh, positive cases and deaths. But here in the US, we're, we're turn, we've turned a corner, but one of the worries about this corner that we've apparently turned are the variants. And I don't want to go deep into the variants today, but it's worrisome. The variants are worrisome for varying reasons, no pun intended. One worry about the variants is that there definitely is an apparent weakening of vaccine efficacy with some of these variants. We've all heard of the variant from Great Britain, the one from Brazil, the one from South Africa. And just a few weeks ago, we heard from the CDC that there were at least seven different variants, many of which are sharing certain troubling uh, mutations that are circulating around the United States right now. We're not sure how many of them are actually that dangerous. We're not sure how many of these variants cause worse disease or are more lethal. We do know that most, if not all of them, make the disease more transmissible. However, we need to keep our eyes on this in terms of people letting their guard down. I know we're all tired. I know we're fatigued. However, we really need to make sure people continue to wear masks, no matter how tired they are of it. People continue to social distance. People continue to try their best not to travel. I've been hearing from clients, coaching clients of mine, and colleagues and family and friends and other people who've been traveling more. They've been driving across state lines. They've been flying to go on vacation in Florida and California and elsewhere. And this is troubling to me because it's still too soon. It is too soon. And no matter how tired we are, no matter how much we want things to go back to how they were, we're not there yet. And with these variants moving around, the more people who are exposed, 
The more people who are exposing others and putting the vulnerable at risk, the more these variants can take hold. So please, if you're planning a vacation, please think twice about it. Think about a staycation. I know we're tired of staycations, but you know what? People in Sierra Leone and Jamaica and Haiti and other places, they're not going on vacation. They're just trying to live. They're just trying to survive. So we privileged, spoiled Americans can put off our vacations a little longer. And I'm going to get off my vacation soapbox right now. But if you're thinking about it, think again and maybe don't take that vacation right now and just put it off for six or eight months and uh, call me in the morning. So in terms of testing, yeah, where testing is going pretty well. And here in New Mexico, like I said, I've been really privileged to be able to administer tests. And what I'm hearing from the National Guard and the public health people who I've been working with at a testing site here in Santa Fe is that all around our city and all around our state, testing numbers are going down. So I thought it was a really big day when we had, you know, 90 cars straight come through the testing site. But sounds like some months ago, it was 200, 300, 400 cars coming through in the course of a testing day. So testing is going down. And that makes me wonder, you know, is it that people are letting their guards down? Or is it that more people are vaccinated, so we don't need as many tests? Is it that fewer people are feeling symptomatic, so we're not seeing as many people come in for tests? I believe, most likely, it's all of the above. And we just have to continue to keep our eyes on this and make sure our friends, loved ones, colleagues, neighbors, community members, members of our churches and faith groups, that they understand why and when they should go for testing, what the usefulness of testing is, and when they should consider coming in and getting themselves tested. Because there are still people getting the virus. There are still people dying. There are still people getting sick. And on the good side, I'm hearing from a lot of colleagues that Many hospitals, small, medium, and large, are closing down some of their auxiliary COVID units that whereas before they might have had a converted ICU, a converted PACU, and another converted site where they were housing COVID patients, and now they're back maybe to just their ICU or just their COVID unit, and all these auxiliary units are being shut down. So that is a positive manifestation. And if we continue to see these trends, well, then that's cause for celebration. And again, not cause to go on vacation, but it's a cause for celebration. And it's a cause for us to take a pause and say, okay, maybe we're turning quite another corner. Maybe we've gotten even further with this pandemic. And maybe that glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel is becoming more than a glimmer. Maybe it's becoming a little brighter and larger and we can really see the end in sight. I personally don't see the end in sight yet, but I see that we're getting there. And I am feeling guardedly optimistic. I read a lot. I listen a lot. I talk to people a lot. So yes, I'm seeing the signs. I'm seeing the signs that we're doing better, but I want to see more signs. So um, let me know what you're seeing in your neck of the woods. I'd really like to know. And 
these are these are exhausting moments in our history and in our lives when a year into this pandemic, we want to put it behind us. And we're almost there, folks. Hang on. It is going to end. And this virus is going to become one of those circulating viruses like the flu eventually. And it's going to come around every year and, you know, wreak some havoc like the flu does sometimes, but it's not going to be what it's been. So we're getting there. We're getting closer. So please, if you're thinking about not getting vaccinated, get vaccinated. We really need as many people to be protected as possible. I've gotten both my Pfizer vaccines and I'm very, very happy to have done so. And I feel very privileged to have received them. Now, something I'm really, really concerned about right now are the reports I'm hearing of nurse attrition from the profession. Maybe you know someone who's left the profession or left their job because they just can't take it anymore. There was a story on CNN recently. I will have a link in the show notes about nurses quitting hospitals due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And one thing the CNN article was pointing out was that there are systemic problems in healthcare and nursing, which we are all aware of. There's many systemic problems. And many nurses are saying that the pandemic has just thrown them into relief and often made them worse. So either they're more apparent or they've been exacerbated. What are those problems? We've talked about these on the show many times. Long hours, staffing issues, nurse-patient ratios, burnout, burnout, burnout. All the issues related to for-profit healthcare. Nurses feeling unsupported and unseen by administration. Nurses feeling like they are so much cannon fodder on the front lines of this pandemic. You know, we need, as a profession, to figure out what the hell's going on with our profession, why people feel the way they do, why nurses are leaving the profession in droves, and what we need to do to stem the tide. If we're having a nursing shortage in places all over the country, which we are, why is that shortage happening? Yes, nurses are retiring in very large numbers because the baby boomers are aging out and they're retiring and good for them for retiring, especially in the midst of a pandemic. We do have a lot of people wanting to go to nursing school. We have lots of nurses being churned out of nursing school, but we also have a lot of nursing students or potential students being turned away because there aren't enough professors. So we've still got some issues here in our profession and we need to figure out what to do about it. We need a retooling of nursing. We need to take a deep, hard, honest, clear-eyed look at ourselves and say, okay, what's with all the bullying and incivility? What's with all the internalized oppression? What's with the racism in nursing? What's with the classism in nursing? What's with nurses saying, oh, she's a school nurse. She's not a real nurse. Or she, uh, she works in a clinic, not a hospital. She's not a real nurse. You know, we're all real. <laughs> Pinch ourselves. We're all real. We all have roles to play. And there is no room. There is no room for bullying and incivility nurses treating each other poorly. And there's no room for hospital administrations and healthcare organizations treating their nurses like so much cannon fodder. We nurses need to speak up 
And a survey from the American Nurses Association's Healthy Nurse, Healthy Nation project found that at least 69% of United States nurses said they agree or they strongly agree that they put their patients' health and safety before their own. And an American Nurses Association survey conducted in December of 2020, just a couple months ago, found that close to 75% of nurses reported feeling exhausted in the last two weeks. Not unexpected in a profession where folks are on their feet all day for hours and hours and hours, often feel very unthanked, feel very unrecognized, feel like the public don't really understand what they do, and they feel unseen. And, you know, banging on the pots and pans is great. Like we've talked about before, signs like heroes work here, you know, the signs are nice. It's, it's a nice touch. However, nurses need to be paid well. They need to be treated with respect. They need to be taken care of by their employers. They need to be cared for and respected by their fellow nurses, by physicians and by others. And they need to feel that the work they're doing is important, that it's valued, and that what they're doing makes a difference. So in terms of the public understanding what nurses do, there was a video on the New York Times just recently. It's 15 minutes long, and I will put a link in the show notes. And this video is two nurses in Phoenix, Arizona, They had body cameras strapped to the front of their uniforms, and they were working in a COVID ICU in Phoenix. And we got to see, and the public got to see, what these nurses do and see themselves and experience throughout the course of their work in a COVID ICU. It is pretty mind-blowing. For those of you who work in that milieu, it's probably not surprising at all, but in terms of the public truly understanding what nurses are capable of, that nurses don't just hold hands, that they don't just put on Band-Aids, that they save lives. Nurses are scientists. Nurses are healthcare professionals with critical thinking and with uh, you know, incredible amount of intelligence, emotional, intellectual, and otherwise. And this film is very, very important. And I hope you'll watch it, and I hope you will share it with your family, friends, colleagues, community members, neighbors, so that they can truly see what nurses are going going through on a day-to-day basis out there on the front lines. And if you've been working on the front lines, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. I just started just recently doing the testing and the hotline work. And, you know, I've been supporting you all and cheering you on from the from the sidelines. And I feel like doing the testing, I'm still on the sidelines. Those of you who are caring for those patients day in and day out in the ICU, in the ER, in the step-down unit, blessings to you and gratitude to you and a deep bow, a deep bow of compassion and, and thankfulness to you. So here we are one year in, hopefully we don't have another year to go. Hopefully by this time next year, let's say Valentine's Day 2022, we won't be wearing masks. Please, please, we won't be wearing masks. We'll be able to be with our families and get back to some, some notion of normalcy. 
So please take care of yourself. Do your good work out there and make sure that you get the rest and the self-care that you need to continue going. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this special COVID-19 bonus episode of The Nurse Keith Show. I'll keep bringing you these episodes at the end of every month. The show notes for this episode are at nursekeith.com forward slash COVID-19-21. There'll be some of these important links there for you to check out, including that 15-minute film from The New York Times. I hope you feel informed and empowered from this episode. Please take inspired action every day to educate, inform, and calm your friends, family, loved ones, colleagues, members of your community. And please, please take care of yourself. The Nurse Keith Show is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network, one of the largest and fastest growing collections of authoritative podcasts on health, healthcare, medicine, and nursing. And you can check them out at healthpodcastnetwork.com. The Nurse Keith Show is adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting and Mark Cappiespeason is our stalwart social media ringmaster. A round of applause and a deep bow of gratitude to Mark and Rob for keeping the wheels turning in the right direction. Stay safe, stay informed, be the nurse and healthcare professional who does the right thing in the face of the COVID-19 pandemic. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. See you soon.